Good morning. It's really good to see all of you here today. Uh, it's our deep conviction that God is already at work in our lives <clears throat> long before we come to this place, and uh, we don't believe it's any coincidence whatsoever that you're here today. We trust that God will speak to you, uh, specifically to you, through His Word today. Last week we looked at a, a parable in Luke 18. It was a parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the very simple lesson that we saw there is that true disciples of Jesus are humble toward God and toward everybody else. And we, we believe that because that's what that parable teaches. Okay. And, uh, and that's, what, that's what Jesus modeled. He was humble toward his heavenly Father. And he was gentle and humble in heart toward the people that, that he invited to be his followers. And so it's really almost impossible to overstate the importance of humility in the life of a disciple. 300 years ago, William Law made the statement. He said, you might as well think you can see without eyes or live without breath as to think that you could be a follower of Christ without humility. Almost can't overstate the importance of humility. So today we're going to follow up last week's message with a passage that teaches us how we can, how we can learn humility in everyday life. And what we're going to see is that if we are teachable and if we pay attention, we will find that God is incredibly faithful and incredibly skillful to teach us humility. The passage is Deuteronomy 8. Moses is speaking to the children of Israel. They had been in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, they had entered into a covenant with God, bound them to God, and uh, they had seen undeniable miracles. And they're about to enter the promised land, and Moses tells them, you need, to, you need to notice, you need to pay attention to two things. First of all, look back at your time in the wilderness, and secondly, look forward, anticipate your time in the promised land. And looking back, you need to understand God was teaching you humility. There was a time of scarcity. You need to anticipate that when you get into, it, into, into the land and you have prosperity, you're going to need to avoid pride. And we're going to see how we need to pay attention to that pattern in our own lives. And so I'm going to read Deuteronomy 8. <clears throat> it's 20 verses. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there with me. Deuteronomy 8, beginning in verse 1. Moses says to the children of Israel, he says, The whole commandment that I command you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, 
a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can, you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, <clears throat> and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness, its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to, makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. This is God's word. Well, let's consider first learning humility in times of scarcity. And when I say times of scarcity, I'm really referring to any hard times in your life. It's a time where it's not that you're not making it, but you don't have margin. You don't have abundance. You don't have a wealth when it comes to a number of things. Could be your finances. Could be your health. It could be relationships. It could be your walk with God. It's just a, a time of scarcity. And the times of scarcity are the times when we learn humility best, when we are humble by our humbled by our circumstances. That's what God was doing in the lives of the children of Israel. Consider verse 2 again. He says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Sometimes people refer to the wilderness wanderings. Turns out they weren't wandering. God was leading them through the wilderness. And he said he was uh, that he might humble you. And so God humbled them by their circumstances. I think you'll agree with me. There's a difference between having humble circumstances and having humility. We have to learn humility by humble circumstances. He said he, he humbled, he, he, uh, that he might humble you. And then he says, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And so you probably notice when your circumstances humble you, whatever's in your heart comes out. If your heart is full of faith, when you're humbled by your circumstances, you trust God like never before. You press in closer. You trust him to give you everything you need. If your heart is full of bitterness, unbelief, 
then that will come out as well. You may shake your fist at God. You may accuse him of all sorts of things. You may grumble toward him and toward the people around you. So whatever's in your heart, when you're humbled by circumstances, it will come out. And that's what God did for them. He showed them what was in their heart. They grumbled against God. They grumbled against Moses. They actually said, we wish we were back in slavery in Egypt. Can you fathom that? At least we had food in Egypt. And so what was in their heart came out. But God was a good father, and the wilderness was a good classroom. It was a classroom, classroom for learning humility. Notice in verse 3 what God was teaching them. <clears throat> God says, and he humbled you, and he let you hunger, which is different from starvation. He let them be hungry. And then he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. And so in a very literal sense, if God didn't speak, they wouldn't eat. Every morning, God spoke, and the manna came into existence. And they were supposed to see that and realize, ultimately, we're not living by bread. We're not living by food. That's not what keeps us alive. What keeps us alive is God's words, God speaking. Therefore, we should pay attention to everything he says. And that's what Moses had told them in verse 1. He said, all the commandments I'm commanding you today, you shall be careful to do. And so obedience is at the heart of humility. Obedience is this this attitude, this perspective that says, God, you are the sustain, you are the creator, you're my sustainer. You know more than I do. You are wiser than I am. Therefore, I'm going to trust what you say above what I think, what I feel. I delight in your words. Verse 4, your clothing did not wear out. Your foot did not swell these 40 years. Thus you were to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. And so Moses says, in, in reality, the wilderness, it was like you were in adolescence or it was childhood. And God, your father, was disciplining you. He was faithful to get, discipline you because there are things you would need to know when you're actually a grown-up and you're living in the land. And it reminds us of the book of Proverbs, right, where the father wanted his son, remember what mom and dad have taught you. You're about to go off on your own. Remember these things. Do these things. You'll find the path of life as opposed to the path of, of death. And so Moses was concerned that the children of Israel remember the, the lessons learned in the wilderness. And you find that, that perspective found throughout Scripture. During the hard times, you learn things that you're going to need for the rest of your life. James 1 says, Consider it joy when you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And so the hard times are the times when God disciplines us, He refines us, He does things in our lives that we're absolutely going to need in the future. And so... I want you to think of a time in your life when you were humbled by your circumstances. Think of a time. Could be recent. Could be right now, actually. It could be a time in the recent past. It could be a time in, in the distant past. 
but a time when, when you were like the children of Israel, when you were in a place you did not want to be, you were in a situation where you could not meet your own needs just by ingenuity or willpower or, or any or resources or anything else, you found yourself absolutely dependent upon God. Have you got something in your mind? Well, I want you to, to, to consider what was your response? Were you teachable before God? Did you learn the hard lessons he was teaching you? Or not so much? You know, I thought about this church uh, a lot, individuals in this church a lot, and there are people in our midst, some of you in this room, who when you experienced great scarcity, you cried out to God, you were desperate for God, and he heard your cry, and he did this work in your life. And he taught you this deep lesson of humility. And consequently, instead of being hardened, instead of becoming bitter and cynical, your heart has become softer toward God. You now, you now understand the tender mercies of God more than you ever did. And you have a voice, and people notice it. And God uses you to teach other people the same thing. And so don't shy away from just acknowledging, okay, God did teach me things in these times of scarcity and hardship. Others, others of you may look back at times of scarcity, and if you're honest, you, you, you just have to admit, you know, I just absolutely squandered that opportunity to learn humility. I, I've done that more times than I care to admit. I can think of times in my life when I was going through a hard situation, and I wasn't interested in learning from God all I wanted was relief. God, get me through this. And I was just so fixated on, on getting relief that I absolutely missed what God was teaching me. Well, if I'm describing you, and I'm sure we're all, none of us are all one or the other. If I'm describing you, self-condemnation is, there's no, no value in that. But you may need to make eye contact with God and apologize, you may need to tell him, God, you're a good father, but I have not always been a good child. And by your grace, I resolve to learn the lessons you want to teach me in the hard times in the future. And by the way, you don't have to, to figure out why you're going through the hard times. Sometimes it's very apparent. Sometimes there's a cause and effect. I did this. Therefore, this is what I'm suffering. But that's pretty rare in my, in my experience. And I've seen people that have become so consumed with the why questions that they neglect their discipleship, meaning following Christ and learning from him. And one of the core things we learn in the hard times is humility. Now, if you're in the middle of a time of scarcity right now and you just have no abundance when it comes to your health or your money or your, your relationships, just in the middle of a hard time, I'd just say without in any way trivializing what you're going through, I, I would just plead with you to believe that you're in a classroom and God is the master teacher and he wants to teach you humility. There are things you can learn in this season that will bear, dividend, that will bear dividends for the, rest, for the rest of your life.
Well, let's consider the rest of Deuteronomy 8, avoiding pride in times of abundance. <clears throat> Beginning verse 7, Moses tells the people about the life they'll have in the promised land. Specifically, he wanted them to anticipate the temptations associated with abundance. This is something that we as a church and we as a, as a people need to consider very, very carefully. Moses tells them they'd be making a transition from a great and terrifying wilderness to a land of abundance. He says, you're going to have a good land. There's, a, there's going to be abundant water and good soil. They weren't going to have to trust God for food in the same way they did in the wilderness, where it miraculously showed up every morning. Uh, no, he, uh, the temptation would be to become self-sufficient and quit, quit depending on God. So Moses gives them this command. He says, And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. And so he says, once you've experienced this abundance, abundance you need to express your gratitude to God. That's one of the antidotes to pride is just acknowledging, God, you have poured out your blessing upon me, and I'm thankful for that. One commentator noted that the, the, this, this verse is the rationale for the Jewish tradition of saying thanks both before a meal and after a meal. The New American Standard translation makes it a little more clear. It says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God. So you've eaten, and afterwards you bless the Lord your God. I ran across this several several years ago, and so uh, I emailed my then 86-year-old Jewish mother to find out, hey, was this your experience? Did you, did you do this growing up? Can you give me some, is this really a thing? And so I emailed her, and you know what she emailed me back? She said, Stevie, have you Googled it? And so... <laughs> she had never heard of it, and so they weren't really devout. And so I Googled it, and it's a thing. And so it's the idea. You say, God, thank you for this food I'm about to eat. And then you eat it, and you enjoy it, the textures, the flavors, the colors, the nourishment. And then afterward, you say, God, thank you for this food that we just ate. It came from your hands. And so you bookend your meal with Thanksgiving. And I would... Just uh, encourage you, commend that practice to you, at least for a season. Moses continues to warn them about temptations of abundance. Verse, verse 11, he says, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, all you have is multiplied. So you've got abundance. He said, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He said, if you're not careful, your abundance, your prosperity will make you proud and self-sufficient. Look at verse 17. He says, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten this wealth. And we understand that temptation, right? Everybody I know works hard for what they have, okay? I mean, a few people are just given everything. But almost everybody I know 
we work hard for what we get right, and we say, well, it was my hand. I did work for what I've got. Well, Moses anticipates that in verse 18. He says, but you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you the power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And so this is the basic perspective of stewardship. Everything we have is a gift from God. And so life, breath itself, they're given to us by God. The skills we have, they're given to us by God. The desire to work hard, it is given by God. Everything we have is a gift of God. Therefore, we should praise him and humbly thank him for what he has given to us. Well, let's consider a couple of examples related to the pride associated with abundance. And one's positive and one's negative. The first one's positive is King David. He understood implicitly what Moses was teaching in, in Deuteronomy 8. And he was a man who had great uh, scarcity for the decade of his 20s. His 20s, he was on the run. He was a fugitive. King Saul was trying to kill him. He lived in caves, and, and uh, he was in danger of, of being killed. But when he became king, after many years, he called for the nation, bring offerings that his son Solomon would use to build the temple. And when he saw everything that the people had brought, they had brought more than they needed to build the temple. If you ever read the description of the temple, it was this massive building just overlaid with gold. And this is what he prayed. And this is part of the amazing prayer he prayed in 1 Chronicles 29. He says, both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise you, glory, your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. And so David understood everything he had was a gift from God. He said, it's like, God, you've put these things in our hands, and we are taking from what you've given us, and we're giving it back to you in supplying for the temple. And so David, even though he lived a far from perfect life, but he essentially remained humble even though he had great abundance. And then a negative example would be Nebuchadnezzar. And this is a target-rich environment in the Old Testament. You find prideful people everywhere. But Nebuchadnezzar was a king of Babylon. He had taken Israel into exile in the 6th century. And one day he was walking around on the roof of his palace meditating. He wasn't meditating on God. He was meditating on how great he was, as a matter of fact. And this is what he said in verse... Daniel 4.30 says, And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? And so he did exactly what Moses told the children of Israel not to do when they had abundance. And we're told that while he was still speaking, God's judgment came. And for seven years, he became like a beast and he was like driven out into into the fields after a period of insanity he lifted his eyes to heaven 
and he instinctively did what Moses told the people to do. We read that he blessed the Most High, and he praised and honored him. And then in verse 37, we find this praise on his lips. He says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven, for all his works are right and, all, and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Nebuchadnezzar found out the hard way. God is able to humble those who walk in pride. And so, God wanted the children of Israel to learn that same lesson while they were in scarcity in the wilderness. He wanted them to learn humility. And then in abundance, he wanted them to continue walking in humility and avoid the temptations of abundance. If you are in a season of abundance now, and not all of us are, but if you are, and I, I am myself largely, it's, it's a, a season of abundance, one of the great challenges for your discipleship is to avoid the sins of pride, the temptations of abundance, thinking you no longer need to deny yourself. Oh, I did that in the past. I denied myself when I had scarcity. Now it's a time where I can indulge myself. You may actually find yourself thinking, you probably wouldn't say it out loud, but may find yourself thinking, actually, I deserve to have a time of self-indulgence instead of a time of humility. You may even think that, that uh, you know, I was desperate for so long. I had to work so hard that I'm done being desperate for God to come through for me. Well, if you're a disciple of Jesus, and by definition, a disciple is someone who, who lets Jesus' words abide deeply within them. This is self-correcting. If you're a person of the word, and if you're honest and you're teachable, you will find that the scriptures correct our pride, the pride associated with abundance at every turn. And let me just give you some examples of this. So you'll find scriptures about giving. In Matthew 6, for example, Jesus taught his disciples to give to the poor without any fanfare. He said, don't, don't blow a trumpet before you. Do it in secret, where literally God is the only one who sees. And if we, if we do that, if we resist the temptation to make sure other people know how we're generous, how generous we are, uh, we will find that, that God sees and God rewards in his own way. And it's satisfying when this happens. Or you will find scriptures that urge you to be content with what you have. The 10th commandment, for example, says you shall not covet anything your neighbor has. Instead of chasing a higher standard of living, there are times when you just say, you know, enough. I'm going to do something else with my money as opposed to spending it on myself. Philip Bianci tells the time of when a, a man went to a monastery for a retreat. He went to pray and have solitude. And one of the monks showed him to his quarters and gave him some instructions. And the last thing that the man told him, the monk told him, he says, and now if there's anything you need, let us know and we will teach you how to live without it. Okay. <laughs> So he says, we will teach you contentment. We have that here. 
And that's what Scripture will urge on us. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Our Scripture will speak about spiritual humility, whereas last week the Pharisee in the parable embodied spiritual pride. The Apostle Paul, who previously had been a Pharisee, he embodied spirit, uh, spiritual humility. And this is reflected in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul wrote, he said, uh, I've worked harder than all the other apostles. What a thing to say. He said, I've sacrificed. I've worked harder than all of them. But don't get the impression that it's me. He said, I am what I am by the grace of God. He said, it's the grace of God working in me. And so Paul never got over the fact that Jesus Christ came to this world to save sinners. Not righteous people, but sinners. And he never got over that he was, he, he was the chief of sinners. He was the foremost of sinners. He never got over it, so he remained spiritually humble. He had this spiritual maturity, but he didn't use it to boast. He did it to reach others. He did it to bless others for the cause of Christ. And so his life illustrates that we should be humbled by any gains that we make spiritually. What a contradiction in terms if we think that our spiritual maturity is a cause for pride. It's purely God's grace working in us. And so if we're teachable, if we're attentive, God can teach us to avoid pride in seasons of abundance. And so by his grace, we can learn humility in times of scarcity, and we can stay humble. We can avoid the temptations of pride in times of abundance. This is reflected in Paul's statement of Philippians 4. Paul said, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Father, we pray that we would experience what Paul describes here. God, in, in times of abundance, we pray that we can be content. We can know how to walk with you there during those times. God, in times of scarcity and lack, that we can learn humility and walk with you there. God, I pray for those in our midst who are experiencing times of scarcity right now, some area of their lives. Pray, God, that we might, as the body of Christ, encourage and strengthen and help supply what you want to give. At the same time, we pray, God, that hearts would be uh, sensitive and open to what you want to teach us. God, may we not miss a single thing you're teaching us during the tough times. But God, as a, as a body of Christ, we want to represent you well. We want to be like our Savior. And so, God, we, we plead with you for grace and mercy that this may be so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.
Now my Savior, I come.